Welcome to Be Great Today with Coach B, talking with people from all walks of life who have the extraordinary will to succeed so you can learn how to live a successful life. And now, here's your host, Coach Josh Batchelor. What's up, everybody, and welcome into today's show. Be great today with Coach B. I am your host, Coach Josh Batchelor, and I want to thank my special guest today, Coach Donnie Littlejohn, for being with us. Coach, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, bud. So, Coach Littlejohn, a little bit about him. First of all, he is a graduate of Gaffney High School, 1997 class, and um, excelled at uh, football there, and we'll let him talk about that in a little bit. But um, left there and went to Furman University, where he uh, played football at Furman and then was the class of 2002. Um, he came back to Gaffney to start his coaching career as a tight end coach and a uh, ninth grade OL coach, and then moved over to be a co-offensive coordinator in 2008 before becoming the offensive coordinator on his own in 2010. Um, coach, so you, you start out at Gaffney, you're playing there. Obviously, you guys are extremely successful um, program. But talk a little bit about kind of maybe your recruitment, why you chose Furman, um, and what kind of landed you there and, and then back at home? Well, uh, I guess growing up, uh, it's, it's always a dream of everybody. and It was a dream of mine to play college football. Um, you know, it was a big deal to me back then that they would pay you to do something that you love. So I was excited about the opportunity of going going to Furman and, and, and getting a full scholarship. Uh, to be completely honest with you, my mom fell in love with the campus. Uh, she actually fell in love with the people there too. Uh, the coaches were great and, you know, kind of, it was a family, a family, uh, atmosphere. And so she was excited about that and it wasn't too far from home. So, uh, it just felt like Furman was a natural fit. So coach, you leave Furman, um, you come back to Gaffney, you start out with the, uh, with the junior varsity ranks and, and you work your way up and you become a coordinator. Um, talk about why coaching, um, you know, why education, why you felt like that was your niche, like, where, you know, where you fit the most? Well, uh, you know, me and my mom were extremely close. Uh, she passed away in 2013 from breast cancer. And one of her things growing up, she was one of 11, 11 children or 12 children, and she always wanted to be a teacher. Uh, she didn't have the opportunity to be a teacher just because of coming from a big family in the times. So one of her deals was that she wanted to go in education. So I just felt like a, a great way to, uh, to honor her and was to go in education. Um, and what, what better way to do it than, than to be a PE teacher. Uh, my, my major at Furman was actually health and exercise science. And I just got certified to, t to teach physical education. Um, and it also gave me the opportunity to do something I love. Uh, and that was to coach football. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think when you talk about losing a parent, and I lost my dad at a young age, um, I think that's something that kind of sticks with us as we kind of go through our lives, that we always try to honor them and everything we do, and we want to make sure that whatever it is that we're doing is something that they would approve of. And I think in your sense, to be able to take, um, you know, her career goal, make it your goal, and then not only do that, but excel at it like you have. Um, you're doing a great job, brother. And I, I think that's – for anybody listening, I think uh, you can take a page out of his book, man. Um, you know, not, don't just do it, but do it well. So, Coach, that's big stuff, man. Um, so, you, you start out teaching at Gaffney. Uh, you you kind of work your way up through the coaching ranks. And you guys have had, like we talked about before coming on, you've had – generational success so just success you know I mean you, you had guys whose dads played for state championships and then they play for state championships and then their sons could come through and they play for state championships so that generational success has been there can you talk a little bit about the culture and what kind of maybe sets Gaffney apart from other programs well I think well I think one of the big things is that uh you know being from Gaffney and a graduate from Gaffney you're kind of uh, brought up in the culture of football and Friday nights and what the expectation is. Uh, my dad actually played for, for Gaffney High School. He was a, one of the standouts. Uh, and I'm always compared to him. 
when you when you mention the name Donnie Littlejohn, they they automatically go back to him and his days as a tight end as a linebacker. Uh, he graduated in 1970 from Gaffney High School. I think it was class of 70. Uh, he he was a Strombo, um player. So I mean, just being immersed in in that culture, you know, I've had many of cousins to play uh, football. To be completely honest with you, whenever I came to Gaffney or when I started playing at Gaffney, my cousin, my first cousin, my mom's uh, sister's son was the left tackle, and he wore number 51. And so three years later, I'm the left tackle, and I wore number 61. And then when I graduated, I had a cousin that became the left tackle, and he wore number 71. So it's just kind of been a tradition in, in my family. And that's just, you know, three people that have played um, football in my family. But a ton of them. I had a cousin that played wide receiver. And, you know, one of my cousins is Matthew Montgomery. He played a quarterback and was recently our quarterback coach. He set records at Gaffney and went on to Hampton to uh, set records and uh, Hampton University to set records. And he also um, – has been a coordinator, a head coach, a coordinator on the high school level and college level, a head coach. And so it's just, you know, it kind of runs in your blood. And that's just a few people in my family that's had something to do with football. I mean, I've had cousins to play um, DBs and, you know, my god brother played. He played defensive end and I had a god brother that played um, wide receiver. That's Mile Dawkins and his, his older brother, Shannon Dawkins. So, I mean, it's just kind of – my godfather was a, a huge um, football player. He actually played at Grenard and won three state championships. So, I mean, just coming from Gaffney, being immersed in the football tradition, the pride and tradition, um, it's just something that you grow up with. Right. And, you know, speaking of that point, I mean, from, from an outsider's perspective, you know, it's hard to kind of put your finger on exactly what it is. But I think, like you said, it's, it comes down to an expectation. Right. So every every new generation knows because of the generation that they grew up in what's expected of them when they when they put on that helmet, when they when they put that G on. And I think I think that's something that is is the case in a lot of programs. But I think it's magnified at Gaffney. You know, I think um, there are plenty of powerhouse programs around the state when you talk about respective classifications or you talk about your Abbeyvilles and and that kind of thing. But but it's uh it's just different when you step into that stadium on a Friday night and, you know, the new, the new reservation is what it is, but I, I, I tell you, I I miss going to that old reservation and uh, the standing room only and the ghost that lived in the, you know, all those stories that you hear and you may not believe, but then when you see what happens, there's no other way to explain it. When you talk about the Spartanburg game with um, Quentin Hemphill, when they, the game's over and people are leaving. And then the next thing, you know, everybody's flooding back in because the game's not over and, uh, Burns goes up early on you guys back in 06, I believe it was. And my man points into the stands and the next thing you know, those ghosts wake up. So it's just, um, it's different. I, I think is the best way to describe it. It's just different. Um, but we talked about generational players, but coach, you guys, man, you have a tremendous um, coaching staff, but on that coaching staff, you have guys who played for Gaffney High School and they come back. What it is? What is it? Do you think that makes people want to be back and be part of it in the coaching realm? Well, I think there's some good and some bad there. Uh, you know, I've always said that um, playing at Gaffney. You know, I love my time at Furman. Uh, played on some great with some great players and for a great coach, and you know, and played in some great football during those years. But they no way form shape can compare to my playing times at Gaffney with the atmosphere and with the crowd and just, you know, the Friday night lights and the what goes on on Friday nights there. Uh, and I think one of the reasons is because, and we kind of joke about this from here, you know, when, when you're from Gaffney and you play for Gaffney and coach at Gaffney, like there's nothing that's off limits. I mean, we just experienced uh, a family reunion this, this past weekend. Uh, which is the 4th of July weekend. And I, I had a, a family reunion on my dad's side and my mom's side. And, you know, the conversation for 80% of the time was, you know, what, what the, what's the team going to be like next year? You know, are y'all going to be any good? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the expectations? Are we, we going to have a repeat? I'm like, guys, I just want to have a hamburger and, 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 a, and a fish sandwich. I mean, Can I really want to talk about football right now. <laughs> Can yeah, a man but eat? That's not, 
<laughs> I mean, the expectation is here, uh, even in 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 the four walls of your 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 family's house, your aunt's house, your uh, your grandparents' house. When you go to Walmart, when you go to church, you know everybody cares about Gaffney and, and, and what kind of product you're putting on the field on That's Friday right. nights. And I think I think people attach themselves to it in some way, shape, or form. Whether it be they played there and they wore that helmet, or or they went to school there and they were a part of those se- uh, you know student sections, or that whether they were in the band of gold or whatever it is, they attach themselves to it. And you know I've I've had the uh, fortunate I've been fortunate enough to coach with a couple guys who um, who played at Gaffney and and one that coached at Gaffney and. Um, and they'll tell you, you know, they're just nothing like it. No matter what venue we step into and how big the game may be, I think, I think that's just um, that's an awesome experience for you as a coach. But also, you know, you think about those kids that get to live that too. Um, that's that's a it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, when you can look back at that time in your life and and remember um, what the stands looked like. You know, I still remember back when I played um, at Blacksburg, we you know, we were pretty good. So you start drawing crowds and I can remember what the, what, you know, what the black and mild smelled like when, when we came out, I remember our, what it sounded like when your cleats hit that, uh, hit the cement, you know, to run, run across the track to hit the, before they hit the grass. And I can remember people, things they would say. And, and, you know, when you take, when you take that to a five, eight level where there's, you know, 20,000 people in the stands when you play a dormant or a Burns or, or a Dutch fork or a Mallard Creek, when all those people are there and then they're running out of that teepee and the, or the tunnel and the teepee and you got the, the Indian. And I mean, it's just, it's different. If you, if you've never experienced high school football um, in the South, Gaffney should be a bucket list for you for sure. Um, so you talked a little bit about coaching uh, and why you went into it. Um, so what is your current role? Like, what are you, what are you doing on a daily basis at Gaffney high right now? Well, for uh, for five years, I was a PE teacher, and then I was fortunate enough to be uh, to become the administrative assistant at Gaffney High School, which is kind of an uh, assistant to an assistant principal kind of role. Uh, that role kind of got phased out, and then I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to become a principal in two thousand uh, assistant principal, excuse me, in two thousand eleven, and so I've been an assistant principal at Gaffney High School since then. I got you, and so. <clears throat> You, I can imagine the changes that have taken place in, in your career because I know just like I've been doing it 15 years and, and things change almost on, on the daily. Um, but going through those changes since you got there, um, you guys have been through a, a ton of a ton of phases, right? So, you you know, you you switched over from one school to another. Um, talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've seen. Um so for me, the most recent would be COVID and, and how, how things have been managed um, because of the inability to keep kids in a school building. But talk a little bit about just kind of how you've seen things change over the past, we'll say, 10 years. Well, one of the things that I think, you know, I kind of want to discuss is is the transition from the old reservation to the new reservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know the old reservation is, is dear to my heart and to everybody else's heart. But the issue we were having at that time is that every game was really an away game. You right. really didn't have a the atmosphere of a home game, even though you were playing in Gaffney. When you have to load up and prepare, you know, as a coach, you know what I'm talking about. When you have yes, to prepare sir. for a road game, when you're treating all 10 to 15 games as a road game, that a road game, that kind of got taxing. And then we were having an issue where um, kind of the, the, the kids that were coming along, they remembered the stadium as the middle school stadium. Right. You know, in our hearts, it's the reservation. And as you know, you talk about the ghosts and the greats and, uh, you know, and all the stuff that goes on. Right. And we remember that and we got to experience that and it was dear to us. But for some of those kids coming up who in 2000 and I think it was 2001, maybe 2000, the, the old high school was transformed into the middle school. Right. And so a lot of those kids were starting to, um, you know, come from Gaffney Middle playing middle school ball. And to them, it was a middle school stadium. Right. And so we had to, we had to kind of fight that stigma for a little while. And I know that's hard to believe, but it's actually the truth. And again, uh, one of the things that, w- you know, one of the home, I guess one of our traditions as, as a home field 
It's on Fridays you would go walk the stadium before, during school and, you know, get your mind right for the game. But mm-hmm. those kids never had a chance to do that because, you know, they would get off and play at the stadium then get back on the bus and, and, and go home. They didn't have a chance to actually walk the field, and there was not a sense of it's my stadium. Now I think those kids have a sense of it's my stadium. Yeah, and I think I think that's big as a, a feeling of ownership. You know, um, when our stadium was under renovation when I was at Blacksburg, and you know, I'm, I'm no longer coaching football, but uh, when I was there, there was two years that we played in the reservation. And, I mean, you're talking about loading up all the coolers, your dialer downs, your sticks, uh, your goal, goalpost pads, your pylons. I mean, just like people don't understand what went into getting a home game played on Friday night, you know, quote, unquote, home game. And when you're having to get up, you know, get everything and travel, not just your kids. I mean, you're not just loading a team like a road game. You just go and you take your coolers and your trainers and your cheerleaders and you go. When you're playing a home road game, you, you have to take everything that 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 is a home game. You know, the the clock, the I mean, everything. And so for us, it was, you know, Friday nights you get home and back to the school and and uh, then we have to load a trailer and go back and load everything up and bring it back across you know the river so it was one of those things where I can definitely see what you're talking about and maybe maybe everybody doesn't understand that but as a coach for sure I can understand how how taxing that was um so coach you guys I can't explain to you I can't explain to you how many times that we've had kids that forgot stuff and I had to jump in the police car and lights on and fly back to the school just to get cliques, helmet, uh, shirt, mouthpiece, just all kind of stuff. It, it was a nightmare for those years that, you know, mm-hmm. every every game was, an, was a role game. And when you when you coach high school kids, they're going to forget stuff. That's going to happen. So, <laughs> um, But you guys, Coach, have had tremendous success. Um, most recently, uh, state championship, the first, the first one of the program's 5A, um, you guys – did you know won a ton of 4A Big 16 state championships, but the, since they reclassified it as 5A, you guys um, the first time knocking off Dutch Fork, which was the first team to be able to do that in state's history. I think I, I think what better fitting way with it being the program that it was Gaffney and the tradition that's there to be able to dethrone those guys. But what do you think um, made though this past year's like what what set it apart? Because you've been a part of plenty of state championships. Um, but what do you think set it apart uh, this past season? Well, um, you know, the coaches and I, we we talked about this on numerous occasions. Last year was a magical year, I'm just telling you. And uh, I will say, if you were to talk to any Gaffney coach on August the 1st or July the 30th or 31st or whenever we started practice and told them that we were going to be 15-0 in state champions, I don't think any of us would have believed you. Uh, you know, our goal was just to have a, a, a competitive season to, uh, you know, of course your goal is to be in the hunt for the state championship every year. Right. But, you know, like I know it takes a lot to win a state championship at this at, at this level or any level. Any level I mean, yeah. it has to be chemistry with the kids. There has to be – you have to be injury-free. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have some breaks. Really uh, good and a lot of I luck. I think we, we had – yeah, we had all that happen last year. Right. I mean, our kids were uh, – this past group of seniors were, were special. Uh, there was 22 of them. Uh, and we kind of knew they were special. Kind of a goal for us is uh, we, there's an opportunity for kids to live anywhere from 23 to 25, 27 times a year. And when you look at a, a roster and you got seven or eight kids that have perfect attendance in the weight room, you kind of feel like they're going to be special. Uh, right. And, I mean, and, and we had a bunch of kids that had 20 or more lifts and even more kids that had 18 or more lifts. We feel like if we can get the kids in the weight room 18 times, uh, that, we, that you're going to have some success. But when you have uh, 80% of your key, of your team or 85% of your team that's ha- that has 18 or more lifts, and, you know, even half your team that has 20 or more lifts, then you feel like that you, that you have a, a, uh, a recipe for success for right. that year. And, yeah. again, there has to be chemistry with the team. that we, We've played with a lot of – a ton of unselfish pick players last year. Uh, it, no one cared about who got the glory, uh, who got the praise. And I can give you example after example of student of, of athletes like that: Tyler Smith, Ken Littlejohn, Landon Bullet, uh, 
Eddie Medalte, uh, just a, there's a there's a list of kids who their their goal, their object was to just win football. It wasn't to win and get the credit. It was just win. And right. I think that goes along with the chemistry of the team. And then of course, you got to have some breaks. I mean, we got we caught a break. We were down against Dorman uh, twice by 14 and came back and won that ball game. Uh, Northwestern, I mean, they got the ball on the on the within the 20 yard line, could kick a field goal to win the game, and you know they don't. We get the ball scored up, winning overtime. And then of course the, the state championship game. I mean, we're down that that night too, and and came back to win. These kids just they just love to play. So again, we had chemistry. Uh, you caught some breaks, and you know just unselfishness. Right, and you know I always said um, as a coordinator. I don't love getting down, but I love the feeling of being down and coming back, you know, like when you know what's fixing to happen. I mean, it's it's an unexplainable experience if you've never played the game, if you've never been a part of it. But when I can remember a game specifically where we're down four, we're down 20, 20 to nothing at halftime, we end up winning the game 20, 21, 20. And we had a couple of breaks go our way, but just like you talked about, the kids never wavered. They always felt like we were going to win. They never felt like the game was over. And I think when you have that, not only in football, but in life, then you have something special. Because if you can take what you learned at Gaffney High School as a football player and learn learn how to fight through adversity, then you can take that through the rest of your life. And no matter what you go through, you'll be able to lean back on those days and understand that, you know, it might not look good right now, but I can keep fighting. You know, as long as I got breath, I can keep fighting, and it ain't over. So, um, Coach, you, without knowing it, I don't know if, if you do know it or if you thought about it, but I ask you about success, and you ne- you rarely mentioned plays, which is funny because that's what you do is you call plays. But you talk mainly about the weight room. Uh, can you talk about Coach Smith and the job he's done there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... You know, we, we've been blessed. Coach Smith was actually our first strength coach guy with the title. Uh, in my younger days, uh, myself and Ben Fuller, and um, we kind of kind of spearheaded the weight room until Coach Smith got there. And then he left and went and he's played on – he's uh, coached you know, at a lot of colleges, Tennessee, uh, Duke, uh, Ole Miss, Clemson. You know, he has a lot of knowledge when it comes to what it takes to run a successful – a weight training program and what the kids need to be successful on the field, uh, how to run and, you know, the fast, uh, the fast movements in the weight room and, you know, making sure we're conditioned and all that good stuff that goes along with, the, with a strength training program. Right. Uh, but then we had Aaron Walker, who would have been our second strength coach who came in and did a ph- phenomenal job. And then when he left, coach Smith came back to us. So we've been kind of, we've been extremely blessed and uh, that area of of the the training and the, the program or whatever, we've been extremely blessed with those guys. Yeah, well, and and I can speak from experience. So when I first got to Blacksburg, I was over um, in in 2016 when I came back to the high school to teach. After being at the middle school, uh, they gave me the weight room, and I was in charge of it. But I was also um, trying to coordinate. Um, I was a co coordinator on defense, and then I ended up being the OC on offense, and then was also a baseball coach and trying to do all those things and kind of juggle and make sure um, that we're getting our work in in the weight room is extremely difficult. So having those people, like we've been blessed to have Coach Joey Hawkins, Coach Hawk with us, and um, it's just a it's a great feeling knowing that you can you can rely on that person to get your guys ready to go and all you have to worry about is coaching football. So um, so that's big time. Shout out well, to Coach Smith. Well, it goes back to one of those things I talked about too was injuries. Uh, you know, like I know, if you don't have the players in there, then it's hard. No matter whatever play you call, it's not going to work. I mean, that's it's, right. It's, it's, the, it's people the not plays. Knows, yeah, yeah, people not plays. That's right. And so, Coach Smith is kind of directly involved with that part of it, where you know, weight training now, you you, you have to be the faster and stronger, and and of course, the faster and strong it helps you prevent injuries. Right. And so, I think he's a a, a direct testament on us being injury-free last year and not having any major injuries, no ACL tears, no shoulder tears, no or broken, any kind of thing, no right. ankles, no, no, um, you know, fingers, arms, anything of that. Which of is that unheard of magnitude. in high school football. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and 
know what I mean? When we the people we started with or the people we ended with, and that's right. that hadn't always been the case in Gaffney. Um, but you, you, we are fortunate that when somebody goes down, a lot of times you do have somebody that can step up and take their place. But and we yeah. we didn't have to worry about that last year, and I think that was a big reason or a big part of our success. Yeah, I think I think anytime you can you can go through a season and you you start the same guys you finish with, it's it's probably been successful. Um, just this past year in baseball, same thing for us. We started with some guys, and you know, normally you have a guy who comes up lame, arm issues, hamstring, something. Uh, but man, we we had a great run, and it was directly a direct you know reflection on the guys who started and finished with us because the guys we were counting on in the preseason, you know, were the guys that we finished with, and we had some guys step up, but. And and you always do, you know. I mean, at Gaffney, you guys have got um, an embarrassment of riches at times with uh, with depth, but you guys do a phenomenal job with those people. So, coach, speaking on players, and we talked about Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. Um, you guys have had some great Jimmy's and Joe's. Um, I don't want to get into like a naming contest. Like, I don't want to start naming dudes and feel like somebody got left out. But just to name a few. Um, you've got Sidney Rice, Quinshaw Davis, uh, Shaquille Davison. You've got Rocky McIntosh. You've got, I mean, like, again, I could, you, you got Donnie Littlejohn. I mean, I could keep going, you know. Um, but what, what do you think, um, what do you think it is about Gaffney and those guys, um, and how you continue to just kind of land, land those guys? Do you think it's, it's ge- the the generational success that we talked about, or or what is it? Would you attribute that to? Well, I do think it it, it comes from uh, just the atmosphere and the expectations of a town like Gaffney. Right. Again, when everybody that you uh, look up to and count on in some form or fashion um, has come to the football program. I think that has a lot to do with the mentality of the upcoming players. Uh, the expectation is to win in Gaffney. Uh, they don't, you know, there's no excuses about <laughs> you, this year we lost. I got three returning starters. Nobody really cares about Nobody that. cares. Uh, they, you know, they, yeah, you know, hey, get, get it done. Don't so tell me about the really labor. Do, Show me the baby. <laughs> right. I really feel like that that has a lot to do with the number of players that come out. Um, and then, of course, a lot of the guys you named are, are, are special. Right. Uh, you know, recently we had, we got Tyrion Ingram who, or Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, who's at, at Georgia, and, you know, he's special and had a mm-hmm. great spring season. Uh, you know, we just graduated a, a slew of people. We had yeah. 20, 22 seniors to graduate and 11 of those guys are going to be playing. On some form or fashion next year on Saturday, you got guys um, on your is, staff you know, that play, is, right? Yeah. Um, and then just, just, just that caliber of person or that caliber of kid, uh, you're gonna have one or two of those that come along every year. But Coach Jones, one of his favorite sayings is, you know, when he was six three, uh, you know, he played <laughs> defensive end for us. He he loves to tell guys that you know we 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 love to have the 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 star players, the but we win with you know, good high school football players. And right. Gaffney is blessed to have really good high school football players. You know, and and, and the, the recipe isn't, isn't a hard. I mean, you got a bunch of athletes. Get the right. ball in the hands of the athletes. I mean, yep. and that's what we try to do. Get the best 11 on the field at a time. And so you want to try to best, try to find your best 16 or, or uh, 18 kids on either defense or offense, you know, to get your best 11 on the field. You just want to make sure you you um you nourish those guys and 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 bring those guys along, but I, right. I just think that it, it has a lot to do with the expectations and you know how how we're raised in Gaffney and and you know what we see on Friday nights and just you know the dream of being a Gaffney Indian, I guess yeah. from birth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that's something that starts as soon as you you come out of mom's womb. I guess. <laughs> so. Coach, I want to I want to let you give some clarity because I've been to a bunch of Gaffney football games. Um, I've had the opportunity to to sit and watch and and admire what you do from afar. Um, so for those of who those those of people who don't know, there is a strategy in football where you hurry up and wait. So as an offensive coordinator, the idea is that you get to the line as fast as possible and you give a dummy count, so people. 
call it, but it's a hard count, and you try to draw the other team offsides, and if they don't jump offsides, then usually they've lined up and tipped their hand as far as to what defense is going to give you. Maybe not always. Maybe you maybe you know they're disguising coverage or disguising a blitz, but for the most part, it can be free yards. Talk a little bit about why it is you do that. And, and kind of where you started that, because I have seen so many people who get upset on a Friday night because you won't snap the football. And it's like there's a method to the madness if people would just like relax and hang on and wait. Well, I, I've never, uh, you know, confessed to being the smartest person on the, on, on the field. I really don't like being the smartest person in the room. And a lot <laughs> of times, apparently, I'm the dumbest person in the stadium. But there is a philosophy. Um, we kind of, you know, our offensive velocity is to make sure we got the best 11 on the field at all times for all situations. We want to get athletes in space uh, to make plays, which gives you the ability to have the big play. It's extremely hard in, in high school football to drive a field, you know, and go 80 yards. You need to have to a 30-yard play or, 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 yeah, or a, you know, a 15-yard play. So, you know, we want to get athletes in space to make big plays. We want to make the defense defend the whole field, both vertically and horizontally. Uh, so we want to play fast from uh, – or just make them play sideline to sideline and from uh, end zone to end zone. Um, we want to change tempos. We want to go fast, go slow, kind of keep the team – keep the, the uh, defense on their heels. And a lot of times we do have a uh, – what we call a, a our normal tempo – is where we go to the line of scrimmage and you kind of let the, the, the defense show you what they're in. If they're in an odd front, an even front, you know, maybe they'll tip their coverage if they're rolling to something or, uh, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll tip their stunt. Or if they don't tip their stunt, maybe they'll get out of a stunt if, if they have one call. So we kind of we want to do that. We want to be we balance both run and pass. We don't want to be one of the teams that, uh, you know, if you stop one, you stop another. And we kind of – we kind of uh, we kind of been blessed in that in that area since I've been doing this. Most years we are you know sixty forty. We've been sixty pass 40, 40 run, and we've been forty run. I mean forty pass forty uh, run and, and, and sixty pass or whatever. We kind of been balanced on on all those on fronts. Either side, that's right. one of our goals. Yeah, we, we want to make sure we're balanced and and not giving defensive tendencies or, you know, when they line up in this formation, they're going to do this. You know, they're going to try their best to get the ball in this person's hands. We want to make sure we have athletes spread out on the field that you can't get a beat on that. You know, the the last thing we want to do is is make sure we're utilizing what we call run-pass options, which is Mm -hmm. a new thing in uh, uh, football where you give a quarterback a read and he decides it's run-pass option. And that helps you get into perfect plays. Mm -hmm. Um you know, where you don't have a bad play. If a person is reading this guy and they do this, then you're either going to hand the ball off or you're going to throw it. Right. Most of the times we have a run pass option call 80, 80% of the time. It's not strictly just a run play or strictly a pass play. There's a run pass option. Right. So that's and kind of our philosophy now. You got you got a tremendous quarterback who's able to uh, make that happen for you Uh Last year and this year, Grayson, who's done a tremendous job uh, from what I saw standing there and throwing it and then doing a great job of reading. So, so those of you who don't know, the offensive line is blocking run as if it were a run. The receivers are looking for uh, – they're in pass routes as if it were passing. It's on the quarterback to make a decision of which one it's going to be. And so he's really an extension of the OC on the field. And I think Grayson um, did a tremendous job this past season. And, and I know you guys are excited about having him back. And he's he's committed as well, right? He is. He's committed to Duke. Yeah. So, so you guys. I mean, it, it's a it's it's pick your poison when you when you play a team like Gaffney and they have a guy like that at quarterback who can make you know either one be a successful play. So, um, I just wanted to kind of give you an outlet, Coach. I know a lot of times I've been to games and and heard people talk, and I don't think people at Gaffney understand how um, blessed they are uh, to have you at the helm, calling those plays and and doing the things that you do and. You know, we've had the opportunity to talk uh, and and go over RPOs and, you know, why you run this zone scheme or why you run this, you know, uh, gap scheme or whatever. And we've had the opportunity to go over that and just the knowledge that you have the game is is next level. And I I think a lot of times that goes – I think that's lost on a lot of people. And I think hopefully someone will listen to this and they'll they'll realize otherwise. Um, 
Coach, I wanted to ask you just a couple personal questions before we land this plane. Um, first and foremost, what do you think, what do you see yourself doing as your ultimate goal? Are you, are you satisfied as, as um, I, mean, I know you're happy, um, but I think happy and satisfied are two different things. I think you can be happy in what you're doing, but not satisfied in where you want to be. You know, I'm happy about the fact that I don't live in a single wide trailer anymore, um, on food stamps, but I'm not satisfied, you know? So, um, what do you see yourself in say, we'll say 10 years. You know, this question has come up a lot here lately. Um, and I don't really know if I have an answer to this. Um, I really, I'm really big on God leading you right. and, and, and listening to him mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, one of my, you know, my, my life verses is, uh, Proverbs three, five, and six, trusting God with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he would direct your path. Mm-hmm. And I have been blessed in, you know, my entire life that has actually lived that motto. So I want to do whatever he leads me to do. Um, I don't really know if it's, it's, if it's uh, something that I want to do. I think we get in trouble when we, when we jump out and do stuff that we want to do and not when we're ready to or when he's ready for us to do it. So I, I don't know what the, 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 the future holds or what I want to be doing. I do know that I want choices. I'm I'm big on choices, um, and I've been blessed to you know in my in my my everyday job or you know my career, um, the offensive coordinator at a great school, surrounded by great people and great players. But I also get to go to work every day and be an assistant principal in a school, surrounded by great students and great teachers and, and great support support staff. So. Whatever he leads me to do next is what I want to do, but I just want to make sure I have a choice to mm-hmm. to take another step. I don't like being boxed in, um, I, and I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I don't know if I have an answer. I right. just don't want to be boxed in. I don't want somebody telling me uh, what you're supposed to do or what you can do. I want to, when the time comes, you know, have had a plan, have you know, walked the walk, got the experience of you know, gather all the knowledge I can gather to when the time comes, I can either, you know, be a head coach somewhere or maybe be an athletic director somewhere, maybe be a principal somewhere, uh, could go to the district office and work somewhere. I, it's all about choices for me right now. I just want to have the choice when the time comes to do something different and to have prepared myself to get there. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think that's profound, Coach, because I think if you ask a lot of high school coaches – um, whatever role they're in, if you said, where do you see yourself in 10 years? The majority of coaches are going to say, I want to be a head coach at this school or on this level or whatever the case may be, or I want to be the athletic director. I want to be a principal. And I think the fact that you don't set your sight on any one thing and you just continue to keep your head down and work is biblical. Um, I think that's uh, what we were instructed to do. Um, but I think that the fact that you're just going to continue to work until God opens the door, I think that's profound because I think, like I said, if I ask that same question in a room full of a hundred coaches, I'm going to get pretty much the same answer regardless of who I ask. So that's big time stuff, coach. I appreciate you being honest with me because I think most people just tell me what I wanted to hear, you know, and I think you, you spoke from the heart right there. So, um, what do you, what would you say, um, is your why? Because I think as coaches, we all have a reason why we do what we do. Because if we don't, we get burnt out, right? If we just go to if we go to school and work, because that's what we do, and we don't have something that's kind of filling our bucket, that's that's lighting our fire, um, you know, then then we get burnt out and things become become mundane. But when you've been in it, the time you've been in it, and the things that you've been able to do and accomplish, it's obvious the passion's still there. So what's what's your why? Well, if I had to, uh, again, this is a question that has been asked a lot of me here lately, too. What is your why? Well, I, I mean, I, I love the atmosphere on Friday night at a Gaffney High School football game. I love the adrenaline. I love the preparation. I love everything that goes along with dang uh, football. You, you probably can say I'm addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know that's just – it is what it is. Um, but my why, I think – Anybody that deals with people, and especially teenagers, 
it has to be uh, personal. Uh, I feel like you have to be called to do some to do stuff like that. Because uh, if you don't, then we're not doing it for a paycheck. I mean, you know, let's just be honest with you. The amount of time you spent you spend in education, whether it's uh, coaching or teaching, grading papers, uh, watching game film. Um, you know, yesterday, me and the principal, our new principal, Dr. Eric Blanton, uh, we went and put pine needles out to school. So the the money's just not going to do it for you. Right. I feel like you have to be called in that um, – you're trying to make a difference in somebody's life. Um, I think that's my why. Um, football was great for me growing up. Again, my dad played football, so I was in that shadow for my entire life. Um, I had My uncle was a really good football player. His older brother and then his best, best friend was a great football player. And again, I've been surrounded by a lot of great football players in the community and in my family. So... Um, I just feel like if, if you're not in to make a difference or you're not trying to be an example for students or, or people, then I, I think you're going to have a hard time in this line of work. Because especially now with the way football has changed and, and education has changed and just society has changed with social media. And I mean, we say all the time that, you know, the fans nowadays, a lot of times they're not coming to cheer on the team. They're coming to critique the coaches, so they get to pay six dollars. Six dollars. They pay their money. They can say what they want. Yeah, it's seven dollars and tell you everything that you've done, you've done wrong, or that you're doing wrong, mm-hmm. or tell you what you don't know or who you should be playing. So I, I feel like you got to have a thick skin, and I don't think that's just uh you know a gaffy thing. I think that's the coaching profession. It uh, is. You know, you listen to commentators now. On, with the NFL and college commentators, and, and they're second guessing everything that everybody does. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to, you know, scream, "Hey guys, they practice too. Right. Uh, their coaches, they have smart guys that are, are coaching them. They're gonna have some success. I mean, it's never gonna be a just a, you run away with anything. Right. But again, I think now with the atmosphere and, and the tone and expectations and you know what people think matters. And if, if you're not grounded and if it's, if it's not about something higher than you, uh, and for me, that's making a difference, uh, trying to be an example, um, you know, just trying to do right. Um, you know, I pray with my kids every night and it's, 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 it's a simple prayer. It's almost stupid, but I've said it since my first one was born. And I said every night, God, please let them be great. And I put a period at the end of great because I want him to fill out the rest of it, whether mm-hmm. it's a great brother, a great teenager, a great student, you know, great friend, great husband, great, great, whatever. I just want them to be great. And that's kind of how I want to, I want to be great, but mm-hmm. I really don't know what great looks like. I mean, I think I'm trying to achieve that every day. I'm trying to figure out what does, what does great mean? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of live my life to try to try to define that on a daily basis. I want to be great. Well, I think be great today and, you know, be in the name of the podcast. So in 2014, and, and we, we talked about this um, off air, but in 2014, I kind of, I, I won't say founded it because, you know, I, I mean, nothing other sons new, but I, I kind of coined that phrase. We put it on our T-shirts that year as a baseball program. And the idea behind it was, is if we'll work as hard as we can today to be as good as we can today, that at the end of our, our lives, we'll be able to look back and we'll say, hey, we lived a great life because we did it the right way. And we, we got up every day with the same purpose in mind. And I think I'm right on with you about um, nobody's immune to being critiqued. I think as good as Coach Sweeney has been at Clemson, there are still people who are doubters or haters. As good as Nick Saban has been at Alabama, there are still doubters or haters. And the minute you slip, the minute you fall off, that's when they pounce. And, you know, I had a kid um, in my program at one point where, um, he, he had a couple errors, you know, and, and, uh, he was a young guy and made a couple errors and made a couple mistakes. And you'd have people, you'd hear comments about, I don't know why he still lets him play or why he don't move him or whatever. But what they don't see is the 160 ground balls in practice that I see him fill today and make some of the most unbelievable plays. And, you know, why I would stick by that guy no matter what, because I know what he's capable of. Now there comes a time when you got to make, you know, you got to make things happen. But I think to speak to your point about, um, you know, practice and critiquing. And I mean, we see things in practice that people who show up on Friday night get to judge in four hours, you know, where we spend the better part of our week, 60, 70 hours sometimes working with those guys. So 
you know, I just want to encourage you to keep that up, man, and keep doing what you're doing. And I think you will, you will be great today. So getting to the end of this thing, coach, the last thing I want to bring up. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I, I'm Blacksburg and Gaffney are in the same school district. Um, Blacksburg is nine miles North. Um, it's a smaller school by probably, um, close to a little over a thousand people. Um, we are in the same school district, so the money is shared. Um, the same school board governs both sides, but there all, there's this line at the river that's invisible, but exists. And, uh, it seems to, um, it seems to be that people on one side can't get along with the other or vice versa. So in 2020, when the COVID pandemic hit, my wife um, was pregnant with our youngest son, Maverick, who is now two, but was born 27 weeks and five days. Um, I'm sitting in a NICU. Um, well, actually, we were in labor and delivery, but I'm sitting there and we're trying our best to hold off delivery. And I get a text message from a guy named Donnie Littlejohn, um, who has absolutely, I mean, like we've met you know, because we work in the same school district, we know each other, but we, we ain't, we ain't met, you know, we ain't talked. And I get a text message and it's something to the, to the point of, I know what you're going through. I'm praying for you. If you need anything, let me know. And that was it. And, uh, to me, a guy of, of, you know, who doesn't know me anything, number one, but he's, he's from the other side where that invisible line exists. Um, and he reaches out to me at a low point in my life when there's people in my own circle I ain't heard from. You know, I'm sitting, I'm, I've been sitting in NICU for, I mean, in uh, labor and delivery two days and, and, and I ain't heard anything. And this guy reaches out, but he reached out because he knew what I was going through. So coach, I want to let you talk a little bit about your experience and, and what I'm, what I'm referencing. Well, it's funny. Uh, in the same year, uh, 2020, uh, my wife was pregnant with my now uh, two-year-old daughter. Her name is Danielle, and she's just one of the most precious things in the world. Uh, everything that you hear about a daddy and his daughter is 100% correct. So just let me throw it out there. I, I didn't think that you could love a, a human being as much as you love, but you, you, you can. Uh, not that I don't love my son, too, but, you know, it's just something it's about different. the little one. It's different. Um, she was born at 31 weeks. And so my wife, she was supposed to come in March, March 16th, actually. And she was born on um, January 30th. And so we had an ordeal. My wife sleep and she screamed from across the house. And I go to the, to the bathroom and there's blood everywhere. So, of course, we go to panicking. Uh, we have to take our youngest son to, uh, I mean, my, my uh, oldest son, my oldest kid to uh, a relative's house and get to Sparnberg Regional. Uh, she works in, in Charlotte, so the whole plan was to get her to Charlotte because that's where her health care is and her doctors and all that good stuff. Well, come to find out, uh, she actually was her life was actually in danger and not uh, my babies. Uh, it was my wife, and so they had to deliver. Uh, she came at 31, uh, 31 weeks or 32 weeks, I can't remember. Um, and that day, I at the end of the day, I had one in, in, in NICU and I had one in in uh, ICU. <laughs> and so you want to talk, talk about somebody scared. I mean, you know, what, what what's going on? So I got right. one at home that I'm trying to take care of. And, you know, I don't have anywhere to sleep in the hospital. I asked the lady, hey, what, where am I going to sleep? She was like, well, you're going to sleep in the waiting room. I'm not sleeping in the waiting room. So I got, you know, one in NICU and, again, one in ICU. And so it was just a scary time. But then I realized that and I, a lot of people don't know this about me. I was actually born premature and spent a month in, in the NICU at Duke University. Uh, my dad brings that to my attention a lot. I think one of his relatives told him that, that he wouldn't get to raise me because I was three pounds and 11 ounces when I was born. And, you know, just him going through that ordeal. And he was a rock for me at that time, too, because he never wavered. He never worried either. I think it's because he'd been through it. Um, so yeah, just, I, I knew what you were going through. I knew how scared you were, um, just cause I had experienced it, but then you look back at it <clears throat> and our situation happened right before the pandemic happened. You know, the world shut down on March the 14th, you know, and my little girl was due on March the 16th. So you kind of know, God knows what he's doing. He, he has a plan. 
and you can just look back and see his hands in in, in the work and doing mm-hmm. everything, and, and, and you know, just guiding us during that time. Um, but it was it was touch it was touch and go there for a little while. Uh, and I say that I don't think she was ever she never had trouble breathing. She always did stuff on time. But we were blessed to have great nurses in the NICU. Uh, I mean, just those nurses at Spomberg Region are phenomenal. Uh, we had one that was, I actually worked with her her mom, uh, Kelly Ellis, her daughter, uh, Kaylin. She yep. was actually Danielle's nurse the majority of the time. And she noticed stuff and, you know, she all, you know always kept us informed. And, you know, we got a report every morning. You know, I was doing the same thing you were doing, taking my wife over there in the mornings for visiting hours, coming home, going to work, and then taking her back over at night for visiting hours and staying, you know, spending four to six hours a day in a NICU. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that for, for 19 days. So, I mean, I, I got it. I knew what you what you were going through. Yeah, Kaylin was one of our nurses as well. And, and it, it's comforting knowing, I think Jennifer taught her at Gaffney Middle, my wife, and uh, it's comforting knowing that, you know, the people that are with your kid that you can trust and that they're looking out for you. And, um, and there's so many, I mean, so many good nurses that were there and, and, and that took care of us and, and going through it in the middle of a pandemic, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen with the world. And then we're going to the exact place where everybody's coming with this, you know, with this virus. And, and it was just one of those things where I think about the footprints, um, you know, that, that poem where, I won't quote it, but essentially talks about, you know, when I went through the toughest times of my life, I looked at God and I, you know, I looked back and I realized there was one set of footprints and I, why did you let me walk through it alone? And God said, I didn't let you walk through it alone. I was carrying you the whole time. So I think when you, when you talk about how things worked out with Maverick, how things went with Danielle and your wife, um, I think you would agree with me in saying that that was exactly what was happening because there was no way outside of, outside of God helping us and, and people like you stepping in and you weren't the only one, but just um, the friendship that spawned off of that. And, and again, you know, I think the biggest part I wanted to bring up again is that you didn't know me anything. We didn't work together. You know, you, we weren't on the same staff. Um, and so the fact that, that you made uh, an effort at all to reach out um, has been something that, you know, people will say, can say what they want to about Donnie Littlejohn, but they won't say it around me. So um, coach, I appreciate you. I appreciate, uh, you coming on today. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you and kind of pick your brain a little bit. And, um, you know, I know you had to make some, some reservations to make this thing happen. So coach, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And I hope that, uh, each and every day we can be great today. Thank you for having me, buddy. Thanks for listening to Be Great Today with Coach B. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with Coach B on Twitter at PodcastBeGreat and on Instagram at BeGreat underscore podcast. Until next time, be great today.